So the baby monitors these days, it is like straight up Vegas style in nurseries across America. You can literally see everything like, oh, is that a dust bunny in the corner? And you can hear everything. And so today on our podcast, we're going to talk about when is the right time to turn it down and when is the right time to remove the monitor from your child's room. Plus... We're going to talk about introducing purees into your child's system. And that can be such a delicate balancing act. You know, there's going to be gas and straining and sometimes constipation. What is the best way to introduce purees? What do you do when those new foods lead to some unusual bowel movements? We'll break it all down for you. I'm Laura. And I'm Jennifer. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast. And just remember, the best decision is the one you make. Whoever said babies and toddlers don't come with an instruction manual never met the Moms on Call. For nearly 20 years, Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter have helped over half a million families navigate parenthood with their best-selling books, online courses, apps, and network of certified consultants. And now they have this podcast to talk directly with you. Ask your questions at 888-234-7979. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast with Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter. (laughs) Hi, moms. Love your books and your podcast. My name is Casey, and I'm from LaGrange, Georgia. And I'm wondering what your advice is for when to stop using the baby monitor or cameras in your kids' rooms. Are there certain signs or an age where you think it's safe to go ahead and take the cameras down? With all the sophisticated ways people are able to access cameras now, we're just a bit concerned with security issues, but obviously don't want to take them out of our kids' rooms before it's safe to do so. We have a two-year-old and a three-year-old who share a room, and we also have an eight-week-old little one. I still feel like we should have eyes on them, but just trying to think ahead to the future when we might consider transitioning away. Thanks. Oh, I love this (laughs) because this happened in my neighborhood. Literally one of my neighbors, you know, our houses weren't too far apart, but one of my neighbors was looking at their nursery on their monitor and suddenly went, did we redecorate our nursery? Is it, did we do Noah's Ark? Like, what is this? And what they were picking up is the next door neighbor's oh nursery. Oh my gosh. And it was very creepy. And a little weird, creepy. Right? Like, oh no. And it was just a channel thing. This is older technology. However, yes. So how long do you monitor your kids? There's a couple of issues here that we want to stop at. Number one, we often say like, don't sit there and watch it like TV. When you are separated from your kids, they're taking a nap, they're sleeping. This is the time for you to actually have those moments where you can think your thoughts to completion and have a phone conversation. Just eyeball it about every, you know, for 30 seconds, about every half hour or so. Certainly if you hear any weird noises, we can always look at it. Typically, you're going to hear what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. So even without those monitors, but, you know, but they're nice to have around. They just are. It's great. You can kind of tip a look over and say, oh, the two and the three-year-old, yeah, they're making some noises in there, but they're okay. And so it keeps you from going in to rescue or to save them when they might be just playing or wrestling or whatever. Right. And it keeps us from intervening in ways that, yeah, we don't need to. They're working it out. It's fine. I'll always say, like, if you hear breaking glass, definitely go in. <laughs> but short of that, 
Like there's everything they can work out. We talk about just making the environment safe. So that's right. the the other thing. Not only do we kind of limit our, you know, obsession of wanting to, you know, make sure and oversee every second of their lives, but we also want to make sure that their environment is safe. So we put them in a safe environment in the first place. We child-proofed. We've done all the things that we need to do to make sure that that sweet space is as safe as possible. And, you know, the monitors, whether you use the video or the, the just the sound on, you know, those things are really great as those brief interactions, but making sure that it's safe is the first part. And I think it's hard as, a, as the heart of a parent when we've been so used to, as a culture, being able to just monitor every moment at our will. And it does give us this sense of safety and security. But at some point, they will be, you know, separating from us. They will be getting on a bus. They will be going to a classroom. And so it actually helps us as parents kind of get a little bit, yeah, of being able to develop that trust in our instincts and, you know, to be able to do that right around age five. Now, this is, for everybody, it can be different. And I agree with that. I think somewhere right around that five-year mark, they're starting to follow more than, you know, two or three commands. They're starting to put things together. They're understanding they're verbalizing yes. their needs. So Ver- verbalizing. verbalizing. Verb- I am not verbalizing my verbalizing. needs. <laughs> verbalizing. <laughs> verbalizing their needs. Yes. Uh, you know, so yeah, that four or five year mark is when you're going to start to to do that. And you could do it in phases, right? You could say, you know what? We don't need the sound anymore. I'm just going to have that video part that I can just glance over and make sure nobody is, you know, escaping somewhere. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, so that'll start to begin that process. But I would say around five. Yeah. Yeah. When And just, they're going to certainly help be the indicators. It's a little different for every family, every household, depending where you are. And I'll tell you the toughest, the toughest situation is what I'll find is that when you're on a different floor, somehow having the kids on the same floor makes it easier. Makes it easier. It just does. But if you're on a master on main situation and your kids are upstairs, it's always more difficult for some reason. Or, you know, their rooms are in a basement. Always just, it might, for you guys, it might take you longer. We're just going to own that. Laura, I am going to introduce you to something fantastic. You know, you and I have worked a long time. And we have put a lot of babies to sleep and toddlers to sleep. And our own kids. Yes, all eight of them. And now I'd like to introduce you to the Moms on Call Sleep and Grow Mattress by Colgate. Colgate. They have been so instrumental in listening to what we wanted, what we knew that our families needed, And then walking us through that process, and it has been so much fun. We're dedicated to providing a safe sleep environment for families. So this crib mattress checked every box. We went to Colgate. They're family-owned and operated. We met with them. We toured the facility, and we saw all the things that they could do. We had a long list, Laura and I, of what we would ideally want the safest environment in which to put your baby and get those great long nights of moms-on-call sleep, and they met and exceeded 
every single one. One of the things that's at the top of our list, Jennifer, was safety. We wanted to make sure that this mattress was safe. And by safe, one, it's durable. It's got a 5.5 inch thick, high quality foam mattress that's made from plant-based oils and a soft cover that goes over it that helps with that waterproofing. And it's lightweight, Jennifer, which makes for those nighttime sheet changes so much easier. And there will always be those, especially through toddlerhood. But you know what this safety, when we talk about foam, when we talk about you know, the plant-based oils, I think that we all think, yes, but does it off-gas? And what Colgate has is a hypoallergenic, phthalate-free, Green Guard Gold and Serta Pure U.S. certified safe for no harmful emissions. It is tested and it is as safe as it gets. One of the things that I think is so important as well is the fit of that mattress. One, you want to make sure that your crib mattress fits snug. We did square corners for a snug and safe crib fit. And this mattress fits all standard size American cribs and toddler beds. So you really can sleep and grow safely with Moms on Call and Colgate. Hey there, this is Celeste, and I'm from Reston, Virginia. I have a six-month-old daughter, and we recently started introducing purees, which is super exciting, but we're having a problem with constipation now. We've only given her a few tablespoons of a few different foods, but she's definitely struggling with pooping now, which was never an issue before. I've talked with her doctor, and we have our next steps as far as relieving her and getting her feeling better. But once we get over this hurdle, I'm scared to start reintroducing foods because I don't want this to happen again. It's so hard to see your struggle, you know? You guys have any advice with how we can get back on track with introducing solids and avoiding any tummy issues? Are there certain things we should definitely avoid? And what's the best place to start again? Thanks for your help. So first, I think we need to talk about what constipation is. Definitely. Because... You know, I think a lot of times we want to jump in and call it constipation because they're straining and pushing and trying to get the poop to move. Or maybe they've gone three or four days without a stool and we automatically jump to a conclusion that it's constipation. But constipation is the presence of hard pebble-like stools. So it's really more a consistency issue. So we want to see like what's coming out because new foods can often take them about three to five days as their body's adjusting. It'll give them a little bit more gassiness and fussiness. And they make those faces when they're trying to move gas to a well, more comfortable spot. And it's a different texture. Yeah. We talk about poops. <laughs> thinking about this though, because as nurses, we have evaluated the poops of at least a hundred thousand people. Okay. Like we have I mean, such a, a, a huge bank of information yep. to pull from. But when you're a parent and you're not a nurse, this is the only other human beings poops that, you know, you know, yours and now theirs. So is this normal <laughs> or isn't it? It's a great right. question That's to a ask. Great question. And I think, you know, the texture of, of those stools is very different when we begin to introduce those solid foods. And, you know, typically what we start off with are sweet potatoes. That's one of those very mm. first things that we start off with. And it will make those stools really nice and almost a clay-like. Mm -hmm. And yes, they're going to strain and push and draw their legs up and try to move that. So 
first just let's recognize what constipation really, really is. And then now we can kind of look, okay, well, is it constipation? Is it not constipation? If it's true constipation, hard little bitty balls uh, that's coming out, then we can, yes, look at those foods. We got to get her back introduced. We got to get those started again. Uh, and we might would stay away from the sweet potatoes and the other one that bananas. Bananas. Oh my gosh. Bananas will <clears throat> thicken those stools yeah. up so fast. Um, and we'll do some more of maybe the green veggies. That will help. Maybe we'll add a little bit of prunes in there. Oh, That'll yeah, the usually help. Mm-hmm. So you can start to kind of get those things back in. And grains. If you'll start to introduce some grains, getting some fiber in, that's going to help as well. But be ready because anytime we introduce a new food, it takes about three days for their little systems to figure out how to break down those amino acid chains and how to digest. And early digestion is what causes gas. It's just part of the body figuring it out. And so, you know, if we introduce something about every three days or so, we get kind of past that to the next thing. And we can see kind of what might irritate them a little bit more than another thing. But gassiness is not a reason to not expose them to that food. Variety, variety, variety. Our bodies are so amazingly crafted to handle and manage all kinds of foods. And in our culture, we have kind of our foods. We have the bananas and we have the sweet potatoes. And, you know, cultures all over the world are introducing all kinds of flavors and textures. And one of the things I love so much, Laura, when you are on the online class, the six to 15 month, you're making these great trays of vegetables, of roasted vegetables, which still I love to eat even at my age. Um, But it's the seasonings that you put on it, like introducing those seasonings. We want to make it taste good. Yes, we can sprinkle a little cinnamon on there. Like, you know, don't be afraid and recognize that it is going to take their bodies a few days. We're really attuned to that. If the stools are not hard and pebble-like, then, you know, they may just be at the mercy of early digestion. Thank you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. If you have a question for Jennifer and Laura, call 888-234-7979. Visit momsoncall.com for resources to help you parent with confidence and thrive, not just survive your amazing parenting journey. 